Week 23 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast with Chris Hahn. Lots happened since we last talked. President fired John Bolton. Yay. You know, look, uh, I don't like his reasonings for firing, but I never liked John Bolton being there. John Bolton's a maniac. I know John Bolton. I've told many stories. Maybe I'll tell another one today. See ya. Of course, it was the 18th anniversary of 9-11. And of course, the president behaved badly during that too. And the Democratic candidates debated. Let's talk about all that. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. President Trump gets rid of John Bolton, his uh, national security advisor. Now, I am not going to be inconsistent. I could not stand John Bolton in that job. I know John Bolton. I've said this before. I've done lots of TV with John Bolton. Been in many a green room and many a set with John Bolton. John Bolton is an angry guy. Angry guy who loves to bomb things. And one of the things I liked about Donald Trump, and, you know, there's a lot I don't like about Donald Trump, but when he was campaigning, one of the things I always liked him when he said was, I don't want to start stupid wars. And John Bolton was stupid war man. Okay, he was stupid war man. He was a neocon with a capital N and a capital C. Dick Cheney light. Angry, horribly angry. And and by the way, guys, and I'll get into this in a minute. He's a man who holds a grudge. Okay, I've said this before, you know, I had a private conversation with a guy uh, where he made it very clear to me that he was angry at the Clintons, not for anything they've done recently, but for things they did in the 1970s when they were at Yale together. Okay, he held that grudge for a long time. It was definitely it wasn't the only thing he hated about the Clintons, but there was something there, man, something badly there. So if President Trump thinks that going on a tweet rampage against John Bolton and making some bad things, calling him a tough guy, uh, and I get it, he's a, he was a chicken hawk with a capital C. I, I think I've used that capital line too much. He was definitely a chicken hawk, a guy who loved to go to, loved to start wars, but never went to war, never was in the army, never served. Um, I don't know that that's going to work for you. This is a guy who knows how to write, has a grudge. And you're up for election next year and your numbers aren't looking too good. And sometime around, I don't know, late September, his book's coming out. 
Okay. His book is coming out and it's not going to be kind to you. Okay. I guarantee you the only way he's making money on a book is if he bashes the hell out of you. And he's not going to just bash the hell out of you out of anything, Mr. President. He's going to bash the way you handled national security and sensitive materials. Remember how your whole campaign last year was about Hillary Clinton's emails? I hope to God you never texted him from an unsecure location because that'll be in the book. Okay, there'll be lots in that book about how you handled classified documents and your indecisiveness on foreign policy and your decision. You know, guys, last week this president, last week this president decided to invite the Taliban to Camp David on the week of 9-11. Now, I don't know about you, but I am barely functional on 9-11. It's a hard day for me, and it's I'm sure it's a hard day for most people from New York and a lot of people around this country who knew people who lost their lives on 9-11, who were involved with the rebuilding of New York or the Pentagon after 9-11. I uh, I worked for Senator Schumer during 9-11. And I had a job in the morning moonlighting two days a week as a professor at Hofstra University. And I had just started that job. And I had a class that ended at around 9.30. I taught from 8 to 9.30 at Hofstra on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it was a Tuesday. 9-11 was a Tuesday. It was primary day in New York. And I was teaching at Hofstra. And at about 9.15, the dean of students from the school that I was teaching in came into the classroom and asked me to step into the hallway. I thought I maybe said something wrong. Um, I don't know what I, you know, my original thought was I did something wrong and they're going to fire me from this job I literally had just started. I think I taught one day prior to that. But that wasn't what happened. What happened was the dean said to me, "Uh, you better call your office the country is under attack now I hadn't looked at my phone because I was teaching usually you know everybody in my office knew where I was um, and uh, you know they knew to call me if there was an issue call to call a certain number at the office that I had and I turned on my phone and I had at, at 9 15 a.m a full slate of voicemails, about 40. This is before smartphones. I had a flip phone back then. I, You know, I originally, like everybody else, thought when the first plane hit that it was an accident because that's what they told me. They said a plane hit the, the, the World Trade Center or the Twin Towers as we call them here in New York. And I said it must have been an accident. She said, no, a second plane has hit the Twin Towers. So I got in my car and I drove to my office. And the minute I got to my office, the phone rang. My assistant, I called my assistant on the way in. I got there. The phone rang. It was the sergeant of arms of the United States Senate that said I needed to evacuate the office because they couldn't guarantee our safety. So I left the office. What was also a problem that day is, you know, one of my colleagues from Schumerland was campaigning for county legislator in Buffalo, New York. And... 
most of Senator Schumer's staff from the state side anyway was up in Buffalo helping him campaign because it was election day. They'd taken the day off. They'd gone up. I didn't go because I had this new teaching gig and I had to get a root canal the next day. But it was a messed up day, America. The next day I had a root canal appointment. My root canal appointment was at 7 a.m. The dentist said to me, uh, you're going to have to come back several times to finish this root canal. And it was the last tooth in the back of my mouth. And I said, pull it out. I got to go to work. And I, he, pulled, he literally stood on the chair and yanked the tooth out of my mouth. I then proceeded along with everybody in Schumerland to work every day, long days, straight through the year. Took off for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we worked and worked and worked. And we weren't alone. And this was not a partisan thing. The president was Bush. The governor was Pataki. The mayor was Giuliani. And then Bloomberg later. All Republicans. And we worked with them. And we worked side by side because we had a real problem. And we had to fix it. And the city was in jeopardy of collapsing economically spiritually, but it rose, baby. Boy, did it raise. But, you know, I I look back on those days as, uh, you know, I I look back on 9-11 as one of the worst days in my lifetime for this country, for sure the worst day in my lifetime for this country. I look at the time after as a time where everybody pulled together. Everybody worked together as one. Didn't matter what what your political affiliation was. We all worked together for a cause. President Bush agreed with Senator Schumer and then new Senator Hillary Clinton to send $20 billion in aid to New York. He said, Chuck, how much do you need? And Chuck said $20 billion and the president said, done. We worked with George Pataki and Giuliani as if they were our brothers in arms because we all had a job to do. To get this city, get the state, get this region up and running again. I was assigned to the New York Mercantile Exchange that had been, you know, that, that, that had issues that had to get recovered for, and I won't get into them, get them back up and running. I worked with them on, on securing a new emergency trading floor in the weeks and months after. I dealt with dozens of people who lost loved ones in those towers, communities that were struggling to recover. It was a difficult time, America. President of the United States, current President of the United States, wakes up on the morning of 9-11 and he starts tweeting about his poll numbers. He starts tweeting about his poll numbers. A New Yorker on 9-11. And I don't know, maybe for him it's just another day because his response to the towers collapsing, is that he now has the tallest building in lower Manhattan. Maybe it's just another day for him. It's not not a normal day for most people. And I'm sorry. That's despicable. It's disgusting. And I get it the rest of the day he acted very calm and presidential at some of these things that he was doing. I get it. But he wakes up on the morning of 9-11. President of the United States. He's not some schmuck. He's not some guy. 
He's the president of the United States. He wakes up and he starts hate tweeting about his poll numbers, about John Bolton, about all sorts of things. Before he even mentions 9-11. Now, I, look, I have a rule on 9-11. I try not to do anything. All I do is tweet never forget. And I try to get on with my day. And it's sometime yesterday, for some reason, was particularly hard. Probably because I woke up and I saw that. I, honestly, I woke up and I saw that we have a president of the United States who has forgot. Even though he was there. He's a New Yorker. How could he forget? I get a lot of people have forgotten. A lot of, a lot of people, it's 18 years now. A lot of people weren't even born during 9-11 or they were school kids and they don't remember. I remember. I'm never going to forget. It's always going to be a bad day for me. I hate it. I hate working that day. I hate having to do things. I, got, I went on TV last night probably because I booked that date a couple of weeks and I do almost every Wednesday night, right? So, you know, I, I didn't realize, I, when, I, when I said yes to the appearance, I didn't realize it was 9-11. I went on. I don't know if I was good or I was bad. But it's a tough day. And it is remarkable to me how the president behaved on 9-11. I just wonder, like, you know, where is the outrage from Republicans who, you know, if Barack Obama wore the wrong colored suit to a ceremony on 9-11, it would be a nonstop yap fest for the fools who are on the air before me. They would be they would be saying that the president of the United States, Barack Obama, doesn't care about the first responders and the people who died in those towers. If the president wore the wrong color suit to a ceremony or saluted poor. But this president hate tweets his national security advisor and tweets about his poll numbers on the morning of 9-11. And I got to hear them talking about something some freshman member of Congress said two years ago. That's their, that's their response. Dinesh D'Souza, who should still be in jail. You ask me. The president pardons Dinesh D'Souza. Felon. Admitted felon on the air. Talking about something that happened two years ago. When that very morning, the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, the man whose words matter most, on the morning of September 11th, Hate tweets about his poll numbers as the first thing he does on that solemn day. Now, I don't know about you, America, but I'm a New Yorker, and I lived through it, and I remember it, and I will never forget it, and I will never forget the images of those firemen climbing up those staircases, giving their life for their fellow man, for their country, and then the men and women who joined the army, who came home broken. And we got a president of the United States on the day that all began, on the anniversary of the day that began, tweeting about his polls, tweeting about his poll numbers, calling it fake news on 9-11. Take a day off, you whiny little cur. Take a day off. I'd rather you do nothing on 
I'd rather you go play golf in Scotland on 9-11, Mr. President, than tweet about your poll numbers and get into a Twitter war with John Bolton on 9-11. I don't like John Bolton. I'm glad he's gone. He scared me. But 9-11 was not a day for you to be talking about it. It's a solemn day that deserves solemn reflection by the president. And if you can't do that publicly, stay private that day. You have my permission. I will not criticize you for it because I know you can't help yourself. You're just a very little person. A very, very little person. And we can't afford to have a little person in that big office anymore. Sorry. I know that was a pretty emotional rant. But it's an emotional day. I had people on Twitter yesterday. You know, I tweeted out never forget. And somebody said, it came at me. And I just, I was pissed. I tweeted back. And then he tried to justify it. And I said, you know nothing of the truth. But to the guy's credit later on in the day, he did apologize and he took it back and I accepted his apology. It's a tough day. One of the things that makes me sad, though, looking back on it, in addition to the lives lost and thinking about those firefighters and police officers rushing into that building, thinking about how we worked together afterwards, thinking about how unified the country was after 18 years ago. We all came together. I don't want to have to have an event like that to bring us together again, America. I don't want to have to have another national tragedy like that to bring us together. And I think that we squandered that afterwards. I think the Bush administration particularly squandered it after us, especially when they brought us into Iraq and lied to get us there. I think they squandered it. But there was a moment where it was Schumer, Pataki, Bush, Clinton, Giuliani, all working together for the same cause, to bring this city back, to bring this state back, to bring this nation back from a horrible tragedy. They put partisan politics aside. They work together hand in hand. I don't know if we're going to get back to that. I hope we do. I pray we do every day. But that's another thing yesterday that really got me down. Spent a lot of time thinking about that yesterday. A lot of time just thinking about it. About how far gone that cooperation is. Just gone. Will it ever come back? What will it take to get back to that? Uh, It's going to take a president that doesn't tweet about his poll numbers and get into a fight, call his former National Security Guard advisor, who he picked. You know, call him out on, you know, it's going to take a president who understands his role as head of state, who has some grace who has some dignity, who knows who knows how to act in the moment and not act about himself all the time. 
all the time. And maybe if we could get past this guy, we could get to that place. Let's hope that we do. All right. I got Amy Holmes joining me on the other side of this break. Amy, you know Amy. She's been on before, conservative, but uh, I love sparring with her, so stick around. Joining me now, though, is a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine from the other side of the aisle who I love sparring with on a daily basis, Amy Holmes. You could follow her on Twitter. She's at Real Amy D. Holmes, or is it Amy D. Holmes, not real? Amy M. Holmes. Amy M. Holmes. I don't know why I always say D. I do it every single time. I don't know. I don't know. I think because I knew a girl named Amy M. Holmes. I knew a a woman named Amy DiBenedetto growing up, and I think that's why I... Amy DiBenedetto. And I used to call her Amy D. Hey, Amy D., how you doing? She sounds like she had, you know, like... Big curly hair. Maybe she was in Mystic Pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something like that. Something like that. You know, uh, you know how it's going. Amy, how you doing? I'm great. It's been a while uh, since I've had you on the show. You were actually my first guest on my Aggressive Progressive podcast. We had uh, such a good time. We did. We had a very good time. And uh, you and I are good friends. We've been talking politics, I guess, for 10 years now. Years. Years, years. and years and years. And, I, and, I, and you know I adore you. And I've been, I've been trying to figure out where you are you know, on Trump. Because I, I think at uh-huh. the end of the day, you know, we could talk about issues all we want. I think the election uh, in 2020 is, is this man the appropriate person to have his finger on the nuclear button? And I am one of those people who think if you lie about the weather, you can't be trusted about anything. So uh, what if you lie about, you know, oral sex in the White House. Yeah, but that guy's not president anymore. And the 2020, the 20, the, but hold on, the 2020 okay. election will not be about Bill Clinton. So Bill Clinton answers. No, I'm, just, I'm just holding you to your yeah. own standards. And Chris, <laughs> you know I love you. Yeah. You know I adore you. I know. We've been friends for 10 years. Right. I don't want to make you jealous right now, <laughs> but I think that I have a new favorite liberal. What? Who? Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan, <laughs> who ruled with the majority that the uh, commander-in-chief who would be Donald Trump at the moment, has broad enforcement of asylum rules and border restrictions and, you know, protecting our national security at our borders. As it turns out, interestingly enough, a lot of Donald Trump's ideas and uh, executive decisions right. have been upheld by the Supreme Court, where many of the, his predecessors' ideas were actually struck down. You know, I have a new favorite conservative, you do? and his name is Chief Judge Roberts, who ruled with the liberals that the president's census question was basically ridiculous and a way to suppress the vote. And I'm really happy about that. So you and I, you know, <laughs> okay. you and I have we'll one. You, know, we'll you always you. want to take the conversation where you want to take it. And I always <laughs> have a hard time reeling you in because you're one of the better. First of all, I find you completely. You're one of the best TV personalities on the Republican side. I'm surprised that I'm they don't have you. Well, exactly. On the right, let's just say, okay. uh, you know, you're one of the better TV personalities on the right. You're very engaging. People like talking to you, uh, you know, and you're and you're, you're not angry okay, ever. Enough about me. Let's get to the issues. Yeah. So, so let's just so, so I'm just trying to you. I'm trying to figure you out lately because you know we follow okay. each other on Twitter and we're always yeah. back and forth and I enjoy our yeah. back and forth on Twitter. Uh, 
And and it seems to me that you defend this president too much. And I, I don't know, like, I'm just waiting for, I'm wondering what the line is where you will walk away from him completely. I, I get you might like some of the policies he comes up with. I get that. Uh, but I, I don't understand. I think at this point in time, he is just not the guy that needs to be in the Oval Office. And well, I'm surprised more people on the right that. haven't said, hey, I'm going to go with uh, with some other Republican in 2020 and pu- try to push this guy out. Okay, Chris, you have felt that way about Donald Trump since day one. And for our listeners, uh, Chris and I went back and forth on Twitter the other night about Donald Trump being, you know, a vulgarian, being outrageous, bringing down uh, civility in American politics, right. coarsening, you know, politics in America. And... I tweeted you, and we even texted about it. I was like, uh, did you know that Lyndon Johnson stripped naked on Air Force One in front of reporters? <laughs> he was well known for whipping out Amy, his Amy, but, but, Johnson. But, but here's the th- he also took meetings in the White House with his I, staff. I got it. We've all heard Howard home. Stern play that, uh, that tape of him calling his tailor. We all know he's well known, but guess what? He's not running for president in 2020. Donald well, Trump I'm is. And, and I will say one more is. thing. I will oh, say one more God. thing. I am not a prude. I don't care about Donald Trump's bad they language. And RFK traded Maryland Monroe I, I don't care. I don't even care. I care about a president who not only lies about the weather. And, you know, here, let, me, let me explain it this way. When the president made the mistake of saying that the hurricane was going in Alabama, a mistake, by the way, Amy, 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 a mistake that he made because he was playing golf when he should have been monitoring the hurricane, right? If he had watched the news for five minutes on Saturday before he made that tweet, he would know that that hurricane wasn't going to Alabama. Statement from Noah that said the reason he said Alabama was because he got a briefing this morning from us. He got a briefing on Thursday morning from them. Amy, no, all the president had to say was, I misspoke. Why are you to Alabama? I, all he had to say was, I misspoke. Instead, uh, he took a Sharpie says, to a weather map. And Noah no didn't back says, him up. Noah didn't back him up. The political appointees backed him up, not the scientists okay, Chris, Noah. Chris, guess what? What? This is not going to be the issue oh, yeah. that voters care about. I, I will tell November. you. I will tell you it's this right now. I will tell I you this right you. now. If I was running a presidential campaign, I would run the entire campaign on the Sharpie. I would run the entire campaign on this. I would say, and you would can't you? believe a word this guy says. And I would say, take a look at this map that he drew a Sharpie on. His personality disorder is, is this is a this is a personality oh disorder. God. Now you're trying to shrink him. Okay, look, David Axelrod just went on television last week and said that Joe Biden has a problem telling the truth. And that's going to, you know, bite him in the ass. I don't think okay? he's... He did not say it exactly like that. I watched David Axelrod all the time. I, this is a problem. Joe, Joe, Joe he Biden. said Joe Biden has a hard time with the facts, not the truth. He said sometimes Joe Biden mixes up facts because he's had a career no. for 50 years. Donald Trump's he had a political career for five is, weeks. David Axelrod said that Joe Biden is misrepresenting his past. This is going to be a problem. We're now seeing Democratic candidates go after Joe Biden because of this. They're using their surrogates. We're going to see if it heats up and the actual candidates yes. go after Joe Biden I, on the debate stage. But I don't, I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, so I think you're going to have a bigger problem with Kamala Harris. Who do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be Kamala Harris. I know she hasn't no. caught fire yet, but you wait. She's at 5% right now. Wait. Wait. 
And since flip flopping, Obama was at five. Obama was barely registering at this point in two thousand and eight. I remember. So yeah, and I I don't think it's going to be Bernie, and maybe it's Elizabeth Warren, but I don't think it's going to be Bernie. And I think that Kamala Harris. Be Joe. I just I think it's time for somebody new. I think it's time for a fresh face. And I, well, you know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation or a similar conversation uh, with Michael Tobin. Maybe you remember I, him uh, working for Chuck Schumer. Mike Tobin's one of my best friends. He's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. And we were talking about Joe Biden um, for Larry King's show. And he didn't say this. This is just my interpretation. But he said, Joe Biden is running a campaign. And this actually were his words of looking back. Yeah. To an era of civility. He and reminds I, me of Bob Dole. My immediate thought was, you don't look back, you look forward. He, Joe Biden reminds me of the Bob Dole campaign. Bob Dole was not a bad man. I'm Bob Dole. My Bob, Bob Dole. Dole. Bob Dole. I, I can only do Norm Macdonald doing Bob Dole. But it, right. it, it, it's, I'm Bob Dole. I'm Bob Dole. Uh, and do you know what but, was so amazing about that election? Was after Bob Dole did his, you know... Bridge to the uh, past. Seven, yeah, his like 72-hour... Not falling asleep, going to election day. I'm going to go to the end, etc. You know, he knew it was over. Yeah, it was too late. But he wanted, you know, he he, he wanted that he ran hard. He was a good guy, he, and he wanted to go out in glory. And I remember watching him on uh, David Letterman the very next night after the election. And Bob Dole was hilarious. Yeah, he was great. He was funny. He was so loose. And I remember David Letterman. He leaned back and he looked at Bob Dole. He said, "Why don't you? Why didn't you do this?" Two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> always, losing? by the way, that's always the case with candidates that they lose the yeah. election and then they like make a speech they should have made when they were running and it would Correct. have been so much better for them. But you can't because you're, you know, some of these guys you're are just careful, too, con- too controlled. Okay. So uh, the problem I have with Joe Biden and. It's oh, wait, wait, wait. Stop, do, stop, stop. I invited no, you on the show not to talk about Joe Biden. I invited you on the show to talk about Donald Trump because, Uh quite frankly, whoever the Democrats nominate, the election's Mm -hmm. not going to be about that person. As you know, when an incumbent is there, it's about the incumbent. And this incumbent makes everything about him, even the weather. That's true. Right. So my my question is, at what point? Like he's at 38, 39 percent in polls we've seen the last couple of days. Very bad. At what point? I mean, I'm surprised it's that high, frankly. Um, after the summer he has, I think that that's that's a testament to his base that's going to be with him no matter what. I I thought he'd be down around thirty five around oh, now. No, come on, any come other on. politician he'd be thirty right now after the summer he's had. So you know, my question is, at what point do people just say, "I've had enough, no mas, I'm done with this guy forever for good"? November twenty twenty, election day. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had the bet right now. You don't know who the Democrat mm-hmm. is. Does he get no. reelected? I didn't think he would get elected in 2016. Neither, so nobody nobody thought he would get elected in no. 2016. That's why I'm not counting him out right now. Right. That's why I won't make a prediction. Uh, what happened in 2016, you and I have talked about it. I've done deep dive analysis on it. Bottom line, both parties put up two historically unpopular candidates. Hillary Clinton, she underperformed in every category. She sure did. Including women. Yeah. Including women. Yeah. And Donald Trump, as you know, he won by 77,000 votes in three states. Yeah. Pennsylvania, Michigan. Yeah. It was like, and I I know Donald Trump's pollster, John McLaughlin. He's great. He's a great friend of mine. He's totally honest, very upfront. And he said, 
Donald Trump won by 77,000 votes right. in these very targeted places. And he didn't do anything Hillary, to get more votes in those targeted places either in the last three years. Clinton, she ran on the popular vote instead of the ele- electoral Yeah, vote. and she also Trump didn't, she team. ignored that, those those states largely. She and, did, and it was crazy. And that won't happen that. again. I mean, so, yeah, so here's the prediction I will make for our listeners and for you. Okay. 2020, whole new ball game. Democratic turnout is going to be epic. We already saw in the midterm this last November, the turnout was historic highs. 113 million people yep. turned out for the midterm. That was the first time a midterm number had gone over 100 million. So we know Democrats are energized. We know they want to get, you know, they want to boot the hated orange yep. man. Yep. So they're going to be very, very motivated in 2020. To me, the question is, well, Democrats, particularly on Capitol Hill, we're not going to talk about the nomination. Well, they ruin it for themselves. <laughs> Are they going to go so partisan down the impeachment, the investigations? Oh, I, they're going to I think he needs to be. I, I think he needs they're to be impeached. I think, they, I think they should impeach him at this point. I think they've got to make a case to the American people. They've got to make a case to the American people. Forget about the Russia stuff. That's not, that's not going to happen. But there have been a lot of things that have happened since he's been president. Chris, I give you a little credit here as my second favorite uh, liberal after Lanny Kagan. (laughs) You were never sold on Russia. No, I was never sold on Russia. No. Uh, But I was never sold on Russia, but I think that there are other things to impeach him about. I think think the the Air Force stopping over at his airport and staying at his hotel, telling the vice president to stay at his hotel. And by the way, Amy, you'll agree with me on this. He suggested to the vice president he goes to the hotel. The vice president went to the hotel because the vice president wants to stay on the ticket. He wants no. The vice president wants to stay on the ticket. Of course. Okay. And let me tell you something. He's not going to be on the ticket. I get, I, I'll bet really? you right now he's you done. Uh, he's going to kick it, kick him off for uh, Nikki Haley. Yes, and let me tell you why. And by the way, that'd be a very so. smart political move by him because he's you know oh, he's lost so? he's lost white women, he's lost suburban women right now. That's the trend in these polls that he's got to be worried about. Forget about the number, the trend in the here's poll. What I, here's what I'm going to tell you, Chris. On Nikki Haley is not going to agree to be on a Trump. Well, ticket somebody else will be. There is no guarantee he's going to win. Well, so- and she wants to run for president. Somebody so. else will be on that ticket. Other than Mike Pence. I don't know that. Hey, let me tell you why. You tell me if you agree with me. The one thing this president is, more than anything else, is good TV, a television producer. And if you are doing a convention three nights, and the Democrats, let's say the Democrats have an open convention, which is possible. I mean, it's very possible that the Democrats go into their convention. And, and they're not going to have their nominee? They might not. And let me tell you something. Well, that, that will be a disaster. Well, that would also be great television, and it'll get huge ratings. And I don't think it's as big a disaster as you think. Nobody's going to love it. It'll be huge, huge numbers. It'll be huge numbers. And the president will see those numbers. And he will say, what am I going to do at my convention to get the same kind of drama? I know. I'll pick a new vice president. And let me tell you, Mike Pence is dead. And he knows it. He knows it. Chris, here's why I disagree with you. I watched both conventions in 2016. I watched Hillary Clinton's convention. I was actually commenting on it for Bill Maher's show on HBO. I watched it from the green room. We right. went on stage. She had every celebrity she could dig up going back. And I got backstage. it. It was still she boring. Kravitz. She had Katy Perry. She had Miley Cyrus. Like right. all of these absurd uh, celebrities to try to get like coolness by association. You know who Donald Trump had? 
Scott Bayo. His family, Scott Bayo. <laughs> he had Scott he Bayo. Going for the glitz and the glam. And, and uh, what's his name? Out- James Woods. <laughs> James, what, well, was he? The, I don't remember. But the point is, Donald Trump, he thinks he's the show. So I don't think he's going to be like, oh, I need to mix things up. Amy, more drama. Amy, Amy, any show producer will tell you that you need to make a change during sweep weeks, right? And this guy is a TV producer. He knows. And by the way, also, Amy, let's say the poll numbers are still this bad, like going into the convention. Let's say he's still at, let's say he's at 39% approval going into the convention is he going to blame himself or is he going to change his ticket you watch this is not a guy well, who takes responsibility for anything the buck stop the, you know how you know how harry truman had the buck stops here on his desk mm-hmm. donald trump took that buck and passed it to whoever would take it so here's he, where your logic break da- breaks down he would only change the ticket if he does blame himself if he thinks everything i'm doing great is, no, is great he's not going to blame he, himself but here chris if we're getting really serious about, you know, Donald Trump in 2020 and what are the real, uh, you know, uh, uh, potholes, uh, chasms, cliffs that he's facing. He's facing the economy. Yeah. I just read 300,000 jobs have been lost because of the China tariff. Yeah. Of course, we're seeing, uh, you know, the China We had 130 jobs created last month and, and 25,000 of them were census jobs. Created We're by the also federal government, seeing, of course, the China tariffs hitting you know his his base, yeah. rural America, and that doesn't just mean farmers, by the way. Oh, and I that also haven't heard who work at Walmart, uh, yeah. Walmart next to farms. It's, yeah, the rural community is not you know just people who drive tractors. It's the entire economy in that community. And I was just reading uh, Mark Millman, who said, "Look, right now I'm concerned Democrats are just going way off." you know, in left-wing world on social issues that, you know, are just very distracting and are not going to get us where we need to go. If we can get a Democrat who can focus on pocketbook, kitchen table, economic issues, we don't have to win the rural vote. We just need to peel off a couple of points. That's all they got to do. One point here, one point there. And And by the way, purple district goes blue. You know what what else you, you know what else you don't hear them saying anymore? I mean, I've been doing a lot of Fox the last two years and they used to throw at me three percent growth even though they've never had three percent growth for an entire year and obama had quarters that were 4.9 but then the year would be 2.5 nobody has said three percent growth to me in a long time because they're not going to hit three they're not going to hit three percent growth this year they didn't hit it last year or the year before so and it's gonna it's gonna be really hard to do it next year so why do you think it is that Trump is tweeting that the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, has a lack of imagination and needs to bring the interest rate down to uh, zero or less? I don't know. Why do because you think it is that Trump is now saying that he's <laughs> he wants that growth. Tariff. He's going to spend some China he, tariffs he, as a gesture of goodwill. He wants that you know growth. Donald Trump, I, you know, a lot of people think he's dumb. He is not dumb. He is seeing, oh boy, yeah. the decisions I'm making right now are hurting the very voters I need yeah. in 2020. So yeah, that's why he delayed the tariffs uh, exactly. with China, and he'll probably delay yeah. them again. So but 15, but so the market is again. not liking, you know, there's been a roller coaster market. The market likes stability. All right, Amy, I got 30 seconds left with you. Okay. I'm sorry. This goes way too fast. Uh, right. Where are you going to be? Seconds. Where do you want people to, what do you want people to know about you? I want people to go to at Real Amy Holmes, sorry, Amy M. Holmes, <laughs> at Real Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. Also, I want you to read my column. It's at Velt Voca, which sounds complicated, 
W-E-L-T-W-O-C-C-H-E.com, Veltbuka, where I post all sorts of columns. I did a big piece on Jeffrey Epstein. I spoke to a woman who interviewed him before he committed suicide. I also Good spoke stuff. to a detective. So Check her out. She's Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. Amy, thanks for joining me. Chris, thank you. All right, that's Amy. Always fun sparring with Amy. That was a good interview we did. I'm going to play right after this break um, my take on uh, the healthcare debate. I mean, it was a big deal during the Democratic debate. And, you know, you guys follow me on Twitter. You know what I feel about it. I think Cory Booker had a great night. Um, I don't know if it's going to matter. I don't like the way Julian Castro went after Biden. I think that's going to backfire on him. I think Biden was strong in the beginning, and I think at the end, I don't know, he kind of fell apart in the last hour. But uh, it, it's a mystery to me how much impact these debates are having. It really is. I don't know who's watching them. I don't know if they care about it. Anyway, uh, I'm going to tell you what I think uh, the messaging should be on healthcare. This is from my radio show, so stick around. I'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. I don't know, Mike. Amy, uh, I feel like we have these conversations with Amy, and she doesn't want to say she hates Trump, right? But she sounds like she kind of does. She sounds like she kind of does, right? She was like, don't call me Republican either. Like, oh, yeah, well, she's always been that. That's yes, always no, been I, her I knew thing. That one, yeah. Even though she worked for Bill Friss, who was uh, Majority Leader of the United States Senate, uh, Amy, Republican. Job's a job. A job you know? Yeah, but Amy, Amy is a smart woman. Uh, and uh, a smart conservative, a prince. I, I like to call her conservative classic, right? Okay. Where they had some principles that they organized their lives around, mm-hmm. lives around, and their policies around, like free trade, you know, which is president. <laughs> you know, I, it used to be the number one thing. It was, I used to be the one thing that I was kind of with them on free trade. Yes. I have always been a free trade progressive. It, it bothers some people who know me, it bothers some of my friends in labor. But I always feel that countries that trade together don't go to war. And 100%. Right. Right. You know, like we've never gone to no two countries that have McDonald's in them have ever gone to war against each other. Really? Think about that. What? Yeah. And there are multiple McDonald's in China. So I don't think we're bombing China anytime soon. So no two countries that 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 trade together generally don't go to war. And I've always been for free trade. I'm also, you know, I, I'm also a believer that people around the world should be given the same opportunities that we are given here Mm -hmm. and free trade tends to bring people up right you know we always hear about these jobs being outsourced and i get that i don't like that i don't like seeing people lose their jobs in this country uh to other countries but what happens is over time is the people in those other countries start getting higher wages to the point where it doesn't always make sense to outsource it just takes time it takes like 
five to 10 years for it to get that way. And then the companies have to decide, do we bring those jobs home or do we try to do this in another country? And if they're doing it to another country, they're also bringing those people up. Yes. So it raises the standard of living around the world. It decreases the chances of having war. So I've been a free trade person. I also believe in competition. I think that you've got to be willing to compete. You've got to be willing to say, okay, uh, the American worker is the greatest worker in the world. The ingenuity of this country is the greatest in the world. You got to compete. And if there's somebody, and, and I get it, sometimes the field isn't fair. And, you know, this is a conversation we have with our kids every day, right? Life isn't fair. Everything's not going to be fair. You've got to compete on the field as it is. It's not necessarily going to be a fair thing, right? So, yes, I get it. There's a billion people in China and there are people in China that are willing to come off the farm and work for nothing. And it's a communist state controlled place. But we've got to be willing to compete there because they're there and they're competing. They're in the game. They're playing the game right now. So we've got to figure out how to beat them at that game. And maybe there's something we do here at home with our companies to try to encourage them to keep people here. And we do that. That's what IDAs do. That's what the the, the, the Department of Commerce does. Mm-hmm. That's where we get tax abatements in states and local governments. You know, there are ways to keep companies here to make it not worthwhile for them to outsource those jobs overseas. But we've got to be willing to compete. The American workers got to be able to willing to compete. And we have to have, we have to, you know, we, we have to hope that companies, and, and again, this doesn't happen every, every day, but we got to hope that companies have a set of values and principles that honors the labor of the men and women that work for them with good salaries and benefits. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, we have this debate over healthcare in this country. And if we got rid of the corporate responsibility for healthcare in this country and we put that responsibility on the state, we would pay less for healthcare. And workers would have more mobility and companies would be able to compete better with these countries around the world that all have universal health care. Right. That's the one thing they, you know, they have in China. They have in, in Europe. They have in, in, mo- in every other industrial country in the world. The companies are not providing that benefit to their employees. The government is now. And you might not like it. And you might say, oh, that's socialism. I have not seen a proposal that's really socialism. I've seen a proposal that, deter- that, that takes the, the payer away from the private sector, but the provider is still the private sector, right? The payer, right now, we pay into a private insurance company, right? Everybody pays into it, unless you're on Medicare or if you're on the VA, um, you pay money to a private insurance company. That takes 20% off the top for profit, you know, another 10% for administration, and then 70% of your dollar or less, maybe 60% of your dollar, goes to your health care. And there's no accountability. You don't, you, you don't get to vote on, on who runs that plan. You have no real say in it other than to maybe go to another plan, which is doing almost the same exact thing. And there's some competition, but not a lot. Let's not pretend that like if you live in Kentucky and you are on a health care plan in Kentucky, let's not pretend that you have multiple choices on where you get your health care. There are very few plans servicing that state because it's a small state with a small population and there's not a lot of room for competition. You know, if you live in New York City, you might have 10 choices. If you live in Los Angeles, you might have 10 choices. If you live in upstate New York, you might have one choice, right? So there's only, there's very few choice. You're going almost to a monopoly, so you're concerned that we're replacing that unaccountable monopoly with a state 
with the federal government or your state government. You're concerned. You call that socialism. Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this vital service that every single one of us needs. We're going to make you pay for it. You're not getting it for free. You're going to pay into it. Yeah, I get it. Some people won't pay in it as much as others. Some people might not pay in at all. But we're going to provide this vital service. And that vital service is going to now be paid for by the taxpayers to an accountable government. You don't like the way it's going, you vote the people out. You don't like your wait time, you vote the people out. You know, I, I keep getting these tweets at people that say, you know, every time Trump lies and I point out his lie and, you know, I talk to Amy about the weather lie, the guy lies five times a day. Every time the president lies, somebody will tweet at me, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Who really liked their plan? I, I really want to know out there, you know, tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, if you really liked your plan and your plan, you know, and don't tweet at me if you're like 25 years old and you had one of those fake plans that gave you an insurance card but really didn't cover you for anything, and now you're paying a little bit more for real coverage. If you really liked your health care plan, there is something wrong with you. Even, even today, if you have private health insurance and you have a problem with your private insurance health insurance company, please tell me you like your plan. You know what's great about the government? There are people elected to represent you there. They're members of Congress. They are United States senators. And if you have a problem with Medicare or Medicaid or Social Security, senior citizens are already calling their congressmen to get help to navigate the system for them. You don't get to do that with a private health insurance company. You don't get to call them up and have a special navigate. Everybody who works, everybody that you talk to there works for that insurance company, for that CEO who's taking that big profit and put it in his pocket and buying yachts. Now, your member of Congress goes to work for you. He is accountable to you. He works for you. There is nobody in a private insurance company that works for you. They take your they take your money, you know, and maybe if you're lucky, if you're in one of those places where there are multiple opportunities and multiple plans, okay, maybe you have some recourse, you could quit, you could go somewhere else. But mostly you don't even have that choice because you don't make that choice either. Your employer makes that choice for you. So stop pretending that there's a free market for health insurance in this country. There is not. Okay, we've got to find out a way to actually pay for health care in America. We've got to find a way to do it realistically. And another thing I love, another trope, uh, get ready to hear this a lot, America. The Republicans are going to say that every Democratic candidate wants to give free health care to illegal immigrants. Now, America, let me be clear with you. Illegal immigrants... Legal immigrants, people here who are freeloaders who don't have insurance, all have free health care because they're going to walk into an emergency room and they're going to get treated and they're not going to pay that bill. And who pays it? You pay it through your taxes, through your insurance premiums going up. That's right. You pay it. And it cost a lot of money to go to the emergency room. And if you had insurance, sometimes 
You wouldn't go to the emergency room. In fact, most of the time, you wouldn't go to the emergency room. You'd go to your doctor or you'd go to like city MD, a clinic. You wouldn't wait three hours in the emergency room for care. And it cost you four times less. So the American people, our tax dollars are already paying this. We already pay for it. We don't have this conversation. We don't have the rational conversation about healthcare in America. We have an irrational political debate about healthcare. And it's not getting us anywhere. It's not making the problem better, right? It's not solving the problem. It's making things worse, frankly, because, you know, half the people yelling socialism at these Trump rallies are on Medicare or on Social Security. Guess what? Social Security has socialism in the name, baby. It is socialism. Medicare is government health care. And you're at these Trump rallies yelling socialism. You somehow think that because you worked in America, you actually earn the benefits you're getting. You really don't. You're really not putting in enough to earn it, especially now the way people live a lot longer. You know, when Social Security was invented and Medicare was invented, life expectancy was not 85 years like it is here. And, and one thing about America, we have a low life expectancy compared to the rest of the industrialized world, except if you make it to 60 and you qualify for Medicare. If you make it to 60 in this country, you have the longest life expectancy of any country on the planet. So if you make it that far, because you have, you'll have good health care the rest of your life, you're okay. So shouldn't we be doing something in this country to extend life expectancy for everybody? Shouldn't we figure that out? Shouldn't we try something new because what we're doing right now doesn't work? And I've already told you, you think it's a free market. It's not. It's a monopoly. I mean, I, look, I'm willing to compromise on health care. I'm willing to put something in place where... We still have private health insurance and we have a government option for Obamacare, a robust government option that will then go into some of these states, you know, go into Kentucky, go into Kansas where there's one provider and now there's two providers. And you know what happens when there's two providers? There's competition. That's a market. That's capitalism. There is no incentive for another healthcare provider to go into some of these places. So there's no competition. It's a monopoly. You get what they give you. And what they give you is not determined by something that we all come up with because we have a a representative government. No, what they give you is what their corporate board deems profitable for them. So let's be very clear, America. Let's be very, very clear. We don't have a free market healthcare system in America, and we already have free healthcare for anyone who's willing to walk into an emergency room. Anyone. We're not going to say no in this country. And I know that there are some people that let's just say no to them. We're never going to say no to them. We're not cruel. And if we ever become cruel, we're not America anymore. And I get it. There's a lot of cruelty going on in this country right now. This president has unleashed remarkable cruelty. In a way that I, I, I've never seen. Remarkable cruelty, America. I mean, this, and some of it is around healthcare. You know, that situation two weeks ago we talked about, about him, uh, you know, sending letters 
to people here legally on a program that gave them a deferment because they were getting health care in this country, sending letters to them saying, you know, get out, get 30 days to get out. And some of these people getting life-saving medicine that is not available in the countries they come from. Death sentence, basically. Remarkable cruelty. Remarkable cruelty. But we're not a nation that's cruel. If you show up to the emergency room, you're going to get treated. And it costs four times as much as if you went to your doctor's office or to a clinic. Four times as much. So, you know, are you an economic conservative? Have a reaction, have a rational based system that allows people to go to the doc, to their doctor or to a clinic instead of the emergency room. Figure it out. Let's stop this nonsense calling it socialism. I'm tired of it. We already have a socialist medical system. It's just a monopoly. It's one company. Instead of the government deciding what's going on, it's a corporate board. Wouldn't you rather have, wouldn't you rather have your congressman decide whether he's a Republican or Democrat fighting for you? Wouldn't you rather have that? I know I'd rather have that. I'd rather have my congressman and my senator who I can call and who I can work to unelect if I don't like the way they decide my health care. I think you'd have better benefits. And by the way, if it's just a government option, which is like what Pete Buttigieg is, is proposing and some other people are proposing, and, and quite frankly, I think it's a good idea. If it's a government option, Medicare for all who wants it, I like that. And I think that's the way to go, Democrats. Government, like Medicare for all that wants it, it creates competition. It will make the private health insurers better. Because they will give better benefits. They will have to compete with this government option. They don't want to compete with it, by the way. They don't want to compete. We talk about, you were going to call about socialism. These, they're like, they're robber barons. They don't want to compete. They want to have their monopoly in these states, charge whatever they want for whatever kind of services they get, and they don't ever want to compete with the government or anybody else. They want their monopolies. If we put a government option there, they're going to have to get better or people are going to take the government option because that's how markets work. People take the best product for the lowest price, supply and demand. And if there's only one provider, you could charge whatever you want for whatever you want. So think about it. Just think about this, America. Think about how good it can get. All you ever hear from the other side is that this is going to create rationing. This is going to create, uh, you know, death panels. No, it's not. It's going to create better health care for all Americans. Better health care for all Americans. Public option. Competition. People having to do better to keep their market share. Don't call me a socialist. I'm a capitalist. I know how markets work. Markets work better when there are multiple providers competing for the consumer, at least for the consumer, right? Most of us are consumers. I mean, if you work for a healthcare provider, okay, maybe you might be against it for that reason. But most of us consume healthcare and we have very little say in where we get it from. Now you'll have more say. You'll have more options. You'll have more opportunities, and it'll be portable. You could take it wherever you go. I, I just think it's a, um, I think it's a win for the American people. And I'm sorry that some of the people yelling socialism about it are already on government health care. They're already on government assistance. And they're out at these rallies. They don't even know 
that they're using a socialist program and they're calling the democratic plan, which would create competition. Not all. Look, some of the Democrats want Medicare for all. And, and okay, let's have a debate about that. But most of them would accept a public option. And I think, you know, maybe you start with Medicare for all and you wind up at the public option because we all know that the Republicans move everything to the right. So let's I, I don't think we're going to end private health insurance in this com, in this country. I, I disagree with anybody who says that they think that they could get that done. They can't get that done. You probably can get a public option done, though. You probably could convince some of these senators from these states, these little tiny red states that have no people in it but two senators. You probably could convince those senators to vote for a public option to give their constituents better health care, especially if you start marketing and advertising to those constituents of theirs and getting them to call their senators and say, hey, you know what? Your health care sucks in, your, in Kansas, and it could be better with a public option. We got to go to the mat on this. If there's a Democratic president and a Democratic House and a Republican Senate, which I think there will be. I think there will be a Democratic House, a Democratic president, but more likely than not, than not a 51-49 Republican-held Senate or 50-50 Senate, which is you know bad, but better. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope they use the right language and they do this the right way. That's my health care rant from the other night on the radio. Thursday night. It was actually while the debate was going on or just before it. I had pre-recorded it. I can't remember. I'm doing a lot of media, America. (laughs) All right, I'll be back to wrap this up right after this. Stick where you're at. All right, so uh, another week ahead. Always consequential. Interesting to see what's going to happen with the national security advisor. You know, the president had said that he might consider giving it to Mike Pompeo and keeping a dual role. Then he changed his mind about that. We'll see. We'll see what goes on. I'm look. I don't like the way it went down, but I am very happy to see my uh, John Bolton go. I almost called him Michael Bolton. The smooth sounds of John Bolton. Uh, I'm happy to see him go. Um, you know, I, I saw that there were some people being inconsistent. I, I Look, I get it. The guy told truth to power, and he might have been right that the president was out of his mind inviting the Taliban to Camp David the week of 9-11. He was completely right about that. But that's like the only thing he's been right about. This is a guy who wanted to bomb Iran, kill people over the downing of an unmanned drone. So, you know, an unmanned drone that was probably in Iranian airspace, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but we're not going to war over that, and the president correctly didn't take his advice on it. But the reason why the president fired him is because the president, you know, John Bolton made it known to the world that he was against uh, the meeting with the Taliban at the White House. And, you know, everybody should have been against that meeting at the White, and not the White House, at Camp David. They should have all been, first of all, there was no plan. Absolutely no plan. The optics of it would have been crazy. The president would have tried to get some made-for-TV, you know, um, Jimmy Carter, Begin, and Sadat moment with that kind of handshake with the Taliban and the Afghan president. Nobody was prepared. Like everything else in this White House, it's just complete chaos. It's, it's never worked out right. So, yeah, he was right about that one. But he's wrong about everything else, so good riddance. And I hope the president finds a national security advisor who's going to present him with the facts about what's going on so we can make honest decisions, not some 
twisted version of the truth, which is what I'm sure John Bolton was doing. But that said, I can't wait for the John Bolton book. It is going to be spectacular because this is a man who absolutely holds a grudge. All right. That time for me to uh, remind you all to seek the truth, to question everything and everyone, even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you will find it if you look hard enough for it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.